All right. Well, uh, this is quite an interesting uh, time uh, for us uh, as we uh, watch the news and as we uh, uh, see what's uh, happening uh, in Israel. And it's uh, a very difficult uh, period of time, not quite sure what's going to happen. Uh, you know, there's the immediate and then there's the the medium range and then long range uh, issues uh, uh, that um, we're concerned about. And this week's Torah portion uh, of uh, Pinchas uh, is interesting in that it kind of relates a little bit uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to the uh, current events. And so uh, we're going to take a look for a few moments here in Numbers chapter uh, 25. Now, the thing about this Torah portion is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't uh, know uh, exactly uh, the, the reason, but the portion doesn't begin at the beginning of the story. It doesn't begin at the beginning of chapter 25. Uh, Numbers chapter 25 is the uh, story of uh, Pinchas, and uh, we actually need to read the, the beginning of the chapter in order to understand the beginning of this week's portion, okay? So the very end of last week's portion is at the beginning of chapter 25 of the book of Numbers. Okay, so it says there, While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So to get the picture here, so we see that, now we'll learn uh, later on in this portion, we won't look at the verse on time, but Balaam is, was the instigator, okay? Balaam was the instigator, and he had convinced the men to take Midianite wives, all right? Now this really angered God, right? Very passionate. Uh, God was uh, very angry about this, and so he says, okay, we're going to judge, we're going to, Slay all of the leaders of Israel, you know, those who, who engage in this. So you'd think that people would be pretty scared. So you have this one guy with tremendous chutzpah, right? With just uh, uh, arrogance, uh, no doubt. Takes a Midianite woman and begins to have relations with her right in front of everybody. Okay? That's what's happening. All right? Uh, then uh, we read here, uh, this is while the people were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. While they're weeping over this sin that you have this person with just uh, sinning high-handedly uh, before God. And everybody's, Moses is watching, Joshua's there, they're all there. And who comes but this guy, Pincus? Now, it says in your English Bible, Phineas, but we don't call him that. Pincus, okay, is his name. When Pincus, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest. Now, you see his, his 
lineage here, right? Uh, he's Aaron's grandson, okay? Saw it. He arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through. Obviously, they were in close proximity to each other. The man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. And those who died by the plague were 24,000. <clears> then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Pincus, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I will give him my covenant of peace and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So the first part of what we read was in last week's Torah portion, and the last part was this week. And I don't know why it's not all in the same one, but anyway. So we see here uh, this person, Pincus, who identifies in his emotion with the emotion of God toward this. He is angry, right? Now, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about God being zealous uh, for his people, God being jealous for his people. Uh, uh, you know, you, we read, uh, God is a jealous God in uh, Deuteronomy 4.24 and Deuteronomy 32.16. Uh, uh, God is a jealous God. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word is kana, which means both zealous and jealous. It's the same word. Just in English, they're used differently. But in Hebrew, it's the same thing. Zealous, either a Z or a J. Zealous and jealous. Uh, uh, whenever you see in the Hebrew Bible the word zealous, if you ever see the word jealous, it's the Hebrew word kana. And what it means, uh, basically, is uh, uh, to have... Uh, a tremendous emotion or strong desire. And it depends on the context uh, as what it is. Now, negatively, we can be jealous, and you read about this in the Bible, jealous of other people uh, and be very, very, very upset and very angry and strongly emote and act out and it can be all wrong, right? Uh, now, when God is jealous, it has to do with his co the covenant relationship that he has with uh, with his people. Uh, and you cannot separate uh, the jealousy of God from covenant relationship. Covenant relationship is a love relationship that, that God has with his people. We're not just simply subjects. But you see, he's jealous in the sense of he desires our complete devotion. He desires that we do not go after other gods, whatever they may be, and that our focus is on him, and that he's pulling the strings in our lives. That's really a very good, by the way, on-the-ground definition of what it means to have other gods. Who's pulling the strings, you know, uh, in, 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 in your life? So God is zealous for his people, that he has great zeal for doing whatever it takes to maintain 
that covenant relationship <coughs> and that emotion <coughs> is called jealousy. Now, the reason it is good for us is because God knows that it's in our best interests for us to worship him alone. It's in our best interests. It's how the land of rocks and desert becomes a land of milk and honey for us. Uh, whether we're talking about that as a metaphor of our relationship with God or the physical land of Israel. Uh, and so, therefore, God knows what's best for us. And so that's why he's jealous for us. He doesn't want anything to happen to us. You know? He doesn't want us to go the way of the Baals and, and end up self-destructing. Just like a father is, should be uh, jealous for the welfare uh, of his children. And so he'll do whatever it takes if they're going the wrong way. Plead with them. Convince them. But, you know, Israel, just like if you have children, you know this. They have a will of their own. And when God says, hey, here's an idea. Choose life. Who's not going to choose life? Well, read the testimony in the Bible of basically everybody, right? And from time to time, whether we're talking about the nation of Israel or all of us individually, there are times when we don't choose life. Why is that? It doesn't seem to make sense. It's not, logic, not logical. It's not rational. Life, death, life, death. Oh, I'll choose death, right? Uh, but that's indeed what uh, many actually uh, many actually choose and God pleads with us he cajoles us he he gives us difficulty he'll he he tries to he tries to push us uh toward himself he'll do whatever indeed it takes and so he is jealous sometimes that includes judgment in his love for us he will discipline us he will judge us and he judges us sometimes when we look at it horizontally just like, you know, just uh, as human beings, we don't understand it and it can seem very harsh, you see. But uh, God does whatever it takes uh, for us to be holy, to be right, to be walking uh, in righteousness. So you have this man, Pincus, uh, who gets it. And with the zeal of God and the jealousy of God, as it says, not in his own, but the jealousy of God, he kills these people. He kills them. This is uh, quite uh, an astounding thing. There's no due process here. Okay? There are laws in the Torah that tell us how to handle these kinds of situations. Okay? So we see that he basically takes the law into his own hands, and he kills them, all right? Now, there are times when God has done that. Just go back a few chapters to Korach, right? Now, there was some due process there, but God basically opened up the earth and they all go in. You know, there you go. Uh, uh, but there was some due process here. Here, everybody's quiet. Nobody's standing up. Nobody's doing anything about it except this guy. Pinchas, right? So he is zealous, uh, zealous uh, for the Lord. Now, you know, uh, before we go, and now our human tendency is to think, now, I'm one of those people. I'm like that guy, you know? Uh, <clears throat> we're going to see, it's not necessarily a trait uh, that we all have or indeed should have. There's one other person in the Hebrew Scriptures 
that is identified as having this kind of zeal. And that is the prophet Elijah. Okay, and you know that story from first, well, we just read the aftermath of it here uh, in our Haftorah portion. <coughs> but in chapter 18, not 19, but chapter 18 of 1 Kings, you know that uh, he sees uh, the, these priests that are, that are false, that are, that are worshiping the Baalim, and, and it's horrible and leading the people astray. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's the two offerings, and he pours water on his, calls down fire from heaven, and we see uh, that with great zeal he does this, and all these false priests are die are wrong. They die, and and uh, you know, and and it's this great moment, this tremendous moment of of courage, of of bravery, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and, and standing up for the Lord in this uh, in this unique way. One of the things that's really interesting about that is is that they're the only two that uh, we don't see lots of people being called uh, to have uh, this kind of zealous attitude, especially that of, uh, that of Pinchas. Now, in the uh, literature of the rabbis, there's a, a lot of things written about Pinchas. And a lot of it is kind of like, uh, it goes both ways. There's like this lukewarm attitude, in a way, toward, toward Pinchas. What he did in that situation is, is called very good. Yet, in this very same Torah portion, and we'll talk more about this in our Torah study today, in the very same Torah portion, Moses is called to uh, lay his hands on a successor, to uh, decide on a successor for him, for himself. And so, one would think, why not Pincus? But he is not chosen to be Moses' successor. Uh, of course, we know that Joshua is called to be Moses' successor, and not, uh, not Pinchas. Well, we'll talk more about that later. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Elijah never becomes the leader of the Jewish people, yet God used him in this, indeed, mighty way. Now, uh, how does that relate uh, to us? Well, first of all, what you see in, in Pinchas, I'm going to suggest that when you, when you read this, he valued certain things that God clearly values. And that if he identified with the jealousy of God and acted out in this way, uh, he identified then with the values of God. And just some of those values, of course, one would be covenant relationship. <coughs> that uh, Pinchas valued the covenant relationship, meaning he valued the responsibility as well as the blessing of the covenant and that if somebody doesn't do something, we're all going to die, you know? And so he valued the covenant relationship, so he became, uh, you might say, uh, Shomer Brit, right? The, uh, the guardian of the covenant. You know, that's a term that's used on, about Shabbat when you describe a person that's very, uh, in the Jewish community, very religious, very... Uh, very, you know, who practices uh, a Shabbat to the nth degree. They're called Shomer, uh, uh, Shomer Shabbos, or Shomer Shabbat, meaning guardian of, of uh, Shabbat. Uh, and so we could say uh, Pinchas was a, 
a guardian of the covenant. And so he did what, what had to be done. Okay, uh, we could also say that he valued the community, which is very close to that. He valued the community. He, he, uh, uh, he did something that he knew was going to spare the community. And so he wasn't just seeing himself as, I'm an individual person. These two people that are doing this, wow, God's going to get them. He recognized that it had communal effects. He recognized that the sins of these people have communal effects. And so we need to do something about that. Okay? Uh, and then uh, we see here that uh, he valued his calling. He's the grandson of Aaron. If somebody was going to do something, evidently he's the one who's called to do it. He is uh, of the priesthood. Again, not just, uh, not just a Levite but uh, uh, in the lineage of Aaron himself. And so he valued uh, that calling. Now, uh, we, see, uh, we see this in the life of Yeshua, no doubt. He was certainly passionate and, and uh, valued the covenant and valued the community and uh, valued his calling. We'll look at that maybe later on. But, uh, but for us... You know, there are vestiges of this uh, in uh, the letters of Paul to the congregations when it comes to order, when it comes to order. And there's a lot of them we, we could look at. The most famous one is in Corinth, is in Corinth right? Uh, where uh, they thought they were in good shape, except that, uh, unfortunately, uh, there was someone who was in gross violation of the Word of God and they weren't doing anything about it. And Paul calls them out on it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, uh, and they need to rid themselves of this sin, see, in order to maintain order uh, and in order for the community to uh, be a holy community. Uh, you see it also in the words of Yeshua in Matthew chapter 18, in the due process. You know, if, if someone sins, you go to them. If they don't listen, you bring another witness, as is quote, as Yeshua quotes from Deuteronomy, right? And then you bring it to the elders, and then the congregation. Then you may have to put them out, right? Uh, and, uh, and this is very important. This is related to this uh, concept of uh, covenant, a community, uh, and, and calling. But there's a due process to it. We don't shish kebab people. Uh, and that's... Uh, very important. I would say my observation is people usually end up stabbing themselves uh, uh, long before uh, you know anything else happens. Okay. Uh, now, <clears throat> this relates, I think, to cut to the chase. You know, you could take you could take this and just stop there. We could talk more about our own uh, issues, uh, new covenant wise, about due process. We could talk about how important it is to be zealous for the Lord. But sadly, we live in a world where lots of people see themselves as zealous for God, whatever God they worship. Uh, whether it be the God of Israel or Allah or others. And we see where, where it gets them. Uh, having a zeal for God is a very... Uh, uh, seeing yourself as being zealous for God, is a very dangerous place to be. Like I said, there are two people uh, in the Bible 
uh, who are called having this kind of zeal and acting out on it, all right? Uh, we need to be very careful because misguided zeal can land us in some uh, very, very bad places. For example, in Genesis chapter 34, Simeon and Levi reacted to the rape of their sister with misguided zeal, and there was a price to be paid. In their minds, this is righteous indignation, and we don't we love, that's this like gigantic loophole uh, that we have created for ourselves in the way we have decided to interpret the Bible. But uh, uh, we see here in Genesis 34, they were reacting to real sin, and they did what they thought was right, but it turned out not to be right. There's another illustration, and this is perhaps the most, this is one of those places where we say, how could he do something like this? And that's in Judge, the book of Judges. Jephthah's daughter, Jephthah makes a vow. Jephthah is the leader of Israel, right? And there's a real enemy, and uh, he uh, needs to defend the covenant and the community and the calling. And so this is what he says. Now, this, this is in uh, Judges 11 and verse 29. Now, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Then he passed through Mizpah and Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he went on to the sons of Ammon. He's going to fight a battle for, for the Lord. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, that, that was a good thing, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now in those days, evidently, animals roamed right there with the people. You know, it wasn't like a little house on a prairie, you know, uh, or uh, a modern farming situation or anything like that. So he was fully expecting an animal to come out of his house, right? But we know what happens. His daughter comes out, right? He, has, he gets the victory, he comes out. His daughter comes out. And his daughter basically says, this is what it is, right? And Jephthah goes ahead and kills her. Now, this is the book of Judges. You know, you have to understand the book of Judges. Just because it's written there doesn't mean, oh, this was a good thing. Okay? This just goes to show you how twisted things were uh, in Israel at this time. And if you remember, uh, many moons ago, I did a uh, sermon series on, on the book of Judges. And you see this slow deterioration uh, of the leadership. This is misguided zeal. You see, just because we're zealous for God does not mean automatically that my passions are going to guide me in whatever I do. And that it's all right with God because I love the Lord and I'm passionate. And no one else is this passionate, so I'm going to be passionate. We have to be uh, very careful. You know, you read in, uh, in the book of Romans... Uh, in chapter 10, when, is, when Paul says that we as a people, Jewish, we're, ze we're zealous for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Zealous for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Meaning, not knowledge, just knowledge, 
but knowledge of righteousness, knowledge of, a, of, of, a, of the right uh, way, the right walk. And I would say that about many people, a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, maybe not in the context of salvation and knowing Yeshua, but maybe we have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge of how to handle a particular situation or how to speak to someone or what to do or to know when to speak and to know when to shut up. Uh, it's very important. Now, there, there are other times, you know, the Crusaders had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. <laughs> Big time, right? Uh, uh, they went and basically, uh, they, they went to save Jerusalem from infidels and uh, murdered uh, many, many, many Muslims and many, many, many Jews. This, is, this certainly was not an, an endorsed uh, an, an endorsed uh, uh, way uh, by God, yet it was done in the name of God, in the name of the God of, of Israel, right? Uh, and so there are many uh, uh, who have this zeal uh, for God. Now, in our world, you have uh, certainly uh, religious extremism, ay ay ay, right? Uh, you have uh, terrorists. You have um, uh, people uh, in our day and age who do all kinds of things uh, in the name of God. Now, it's easy to uh, uh, have a caricature of people uh, and to say all, all, all Muslims are extremists and all Jews are not, Right? Well, I will tell you that uh, Yitzhak Rabin was killed by a, uh, a person with great zeal, but not in accordance with knowledge, okay? I will also tell you that the, uh, the Arab uh, teenager who was uh, killed uh, was also uh, not killed by, he was killed by a zealous person, but not being endorsed by God. Uh, and anecdotally, there are a lot of illustrations of people with, uh, great zeal for what they believe is right, but it's misguided. And so we need to be very careful when we talk about, you know, uh, uh, being zealous uh, for God or to use a passage, uh, you know, like this and say, yeah, let's shish kebab everybody, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and, and let's just go, let's just uh, uh, take, uh, take care of it there. We have to be very careful. Our zeal needs to be guided by uh, the Word of God. In our own world, we have to be very careful. In our own world here, when we, I'm, zealous for the, I'm zealous for the Lord, and so I, I will do whatever it takes to bring the good news of Messiah to our people. A lot of times, zeal uh, is, another, uh, is, a ter- is a nice term we use for being obnoxious. Uh, okay, uh, and being unkind, uh, and uh, uh, acting in a, in a way that is n- just not becoming of uh, uh, somebody who, uh, who knows the Lord. We have to be careful, uh, you know, being overzealous in the way that we carry ourselves around here. Just because we're zealous for a cause, a good cause, a moral cause, an ethical cause, does not mean that however we act is automatically right. And that if I don't act that way, it means I'm not zealous for this, or I don't care about this. No. We have to be very careful. We do need to be zealous. 
We do need uh, it to be zealous for the things of God. We'll just finish with this. I know we went way over time. Don't tell on me. Oh, well. In, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 12, here's a great passage about being zealous for God. <clears throat> I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're called to be a living and holy sacrifice. We're called to uh, be one who's, who, if you get the visual, lays yourself down on the altar. God, do with me what you will. Do with me what you will. Right? And so that is really being zealous for the things of God. Being jealous for God. Do with me what you will. Make my life account for your kingdom, not for just my own well-being and, you know, uh, and make me happy, but for your kingdom. Uh, use me, Lord. Uh, forget about my likes or dislikes. Just use me as you will. Okay? And I'm zealous for you, Lord. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. You read in Titus about being zealous for good works, good deeds, it says. Uh, 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 having a, a jealousy for the, for the holiness uh, of God. But notice in chapter 12 of Romans how this is described in the rest of the chapter. This is described. Being a living and holy sacrifice is described in the rest of the chapter. All right? And because it's late, I'm only going to read a few verses. And uh, the verses I'm going to read, I love, uh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, well, verse 9, beginning in verse 9. Be devoted, this is what it means to be a spiritual activist. This is what it means to uh, be uh, a man or a woman who loves the Lord and uh, no holes barred, zealous for the things of God, uh, and, uh, and doing whatever it takes for the sake of righteousness. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take, uh, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil uh, with what is good. And by the way, the very next verse continues, says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Uh, all right, that's interesting. But anyway, so uh, what we see here is, is that when it comes to us, individually, in the context of the new covenant, body of Messiah, if we're going to be zealous uh, uh, for God, uh, just read them. And you see that every single one of those things is about building up. It's about strengthening the body. Strengthening the body and being a testimony to those on the outside 
of us, uh, and certainly being a testimony uh, and having the opportunity to share. I can think of the life of Yeshua when to the Pharisees he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, but to the outsiders he says, can I come over for dinner? You know, to the outsider, he spends time sharing meals, having, uh, you know, talking to them, look for opportunities to build a relationship and to share the good news of Messiah uh, with them. Ne- not never getting around to it, but, but you know, uh, have open it, watching God open up the doors to a great uh, opportunity. That is being zealous for the things of God, laying down our lives for the Lord. Now, in our world, in our culture, there may be a day when that may, there may be a day when in our own uh, country uh, or just as in our world, we may have to take that kind of stand. That may be, that may happen, you know? In other words, when Yeshua says, you know, bear the cross and all that, it's not always a metaphor of, you know, uh, uh, standing up for Yeshua in a conversation with people. Uh, uh, the, you know, laying down your life for one another and all that kind of thing. Because uh, he literally did it. it w- his life was not a metaphor, right? And so there may be, uh, uh, you know, that, that day uh, for us. It exists certainly in other parts of the world. Um, but uh, where we are right now, let us learn from this Torah portion that let us be zealous for the Lord. Let us, let us value uh, a covenant community and our calling, and uh, let us intercede as part of that zeal for all a misguided zeal that is destroying people's lives all, all over the world. Let us pray, yes, for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's play, pray for what's going on in Israel. Let's pray for our, for our, our, our people and, and for safety and all of that. Uh, but let zeal not be misguided. Uh, and may God uh, rule the day, and may the Prince of Peace uh, come and settle it all once and for all. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you, God, for our, uh, our word here today. Thank you for Pincus, uh, a role model of a zealous person who, uh, at this one moment in his life, did this thing, Lord, And uh, God, there may be a day when you might call us in one moment to do something spectacular in this way. But Lord, we know that generally speaking, to be zealous for you, Lord, is to be conformed to the image of Yeshua, uh, to have the same attitude and love of Yeshua, uh, to not be so concerned about our own selves and our own own well-being, but to defer to others, uh, being a good testimony to those on the outside, being people of peace, Lord, and may we have opportunities, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are indeed faithful, and may you provide those opportunities for us to be zealous according to your knowledge. We pray in Messiah's name.